Sunny 16 presents. Welcome to episode 12 of I Dream of Cameras, the podcast about cameras and camera collecting, brought to you by the gang at the Sunny 16 Podcast. My name is Jeff Greenstein. And I'm Gabe Sachs. Welcome to episode 12. 12. 12. 12. 12. And we are well into the screwing with the format section of our oh. order, are we not, Oh, Gabe? we sure are. We are messing around yes. right now. And that brings us to a very, very special episode tonight. This episode is entitled, The Host's Gave us cameras, okay? And as our guests, we have our two creative collaborators, Fred Corey, who is responsible for our music, and Keith Greenstein, who is responsible for our graphic design. We have each, within the last couple of months, gifted them cameras. And so we are going to explore what has happened when you give a civilian an analog camera. Please welcome to the show, Fred Corey, say hi. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. And Keith Greenstein in Atlanta. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome. Welcome to the show. Okay, so I I just want to start by saying, I'm just going to ask both of you individually, and this is very important, perhaps the most important question we will ask you this evening. Do you listen to this smash hit podcast, which incessantly compliments your work? Keith. I have to. <laughs> of course, of course. Right, I'm very supportive of my brother. Wait, yeah, you guys are related. Of course, I listen to every episode. <laughs> Mostly, I listen to it for fodder to see if we can turn it and turn some phrases into some merch. Yes, that's happened a lot. Yes, that's absolutely happen a lot. happened. Yes. Oh, there he is. Keith is picking up a piece of merch based on a joke I made about the original title of this podcast. (laughs) When we were pitching titles, I originally said to Gabe, it should be called Two Jews with Extra Money. And that led to an interesting piece of merch. Okay. Fred, do you listen to this smash? You do. I do. We drive to Phoenix all the time. And I tell Gabe, I'm like, we're listening to five episodes in a row. And we, yeah. I love, I love it. that. I absolutely love it. And I learn things, and I laugh a lot. That is good to hear. Now, I'm going to assume, and just jump in, gentlemen, and contradict me if this is not the case, that analog photography is not a big part of your operational lives. <laughs> Am I correct in making that assumption? Sort of. Okay. Yes. Okay, good. Fred, not you? Every, not a big part of your Not life? every day I try to, although now... I only want to shoot with that because it's just so fun and it's so cool. Oh, good. But good. Yeah. Oh, I want to also just clarify, but I'm going to ask Keith this question. What is your relationship to the host and how did you first meet him? And perhaps what is your first memory of him? Keith, you go first. (laughs) You're my older brother. Um, (laughs) I met you when you were six. Uh, I don't remember it because I was zero. (laughs) Um, I think honestly, my earliest childhood memory of you was when you would hide a walkie talkie in my dresser because my brother, I have a twin brother, my twin brother and I shared a room. You'd hide a walkie talkie, wait for us to go to sleep, go back into your room with the other walkie talkie and start going and scaring the crap out of us. That's fantastic. That is literally my earliest memory of you. That's a good, that's a good story. That's, that's a good, good story. A good story. Yeah. I like that. That's a good story. Fred. Yes. What is your relationship to the host and how did you first meet him or what is your earliest memory of him? 
Tell me Jeff did the same thing with your dress. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> I met Gabe at a Los Angeles Kings hockey contest. And we were on an advisory board. We still are on an advisory board together. And I noticed him because I was like, this guy kind of looks a lot like me. And <laughs> we just, uh, we sat next to each other. And I believe, was it that night was the first time someone said, hey, are you guys brothers? I was yes. Like, okay, this is good. So, and we just had a, you know, we just started getting along that way. And for three years, we really never spoke other than at the game. We were just like, hey, how's it going? Nice to see you. And just kind of hit it off. And and then I found out he was a drummer. And he sent me an old picture of himself, like in the high school days. And I have the exact same picture with the exact color drum set, with the exact oh size of everything at the exact same angle. And I sent it back to him. I sent him mine. And that was it. It was like, we really are brothers. And so many times people are just, are you guys brothers? And to me, I just say at this point, yeah, we are. Yeah, <laughs> That's a myth. Now, I would imagine the difference is that your picture was on stage at the Roxy, and, <laughs> and I was in an Orange County club picture. called Lulu's. They were the no, same. I... Yeah, they were the same picture. Frank, could you talk a little bit about your background as a musician, just for listeners who may be joining us for the first time? How far back do you want me to go? To the zygote. Back to the zygote. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I was... Uh, five years old, I started playing violin because my parents were both musicians. And it, it was just, I picked it up and I could kind of play it already. So I, at six, I started performing. And at seven, I was in conservatory of music and I was playing four hours a day. And I can't throw a ball. If I tried to throw a ball 20 feet, it would go straight down. But man, can I do those arpeggios? And that was for many, many years. And then I couldn't meet any girls that way. So it's like, <laughs> I got to get out of orchestra. So there was a girl that was playing on the snare drum line and I said I need to figure out how to meet her but I was so darn shy I said I'm just going to learn to play drums and get up there next to her which I did and I we were on I think for almost three years I never said a word to her and I stood right next to her and played snare drum and that was it and then I added trumpet to the repertoire and so that was my whole musical journey uh through you know strings and brass and and drums and I got lucky and I got in a band and the rest is, uh, as Kiss would say, it's Kissery, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and also, besides, obviously, we're talking, Fred was in the band Cinderella, ridiculously multi-platinum on and on and a lot of hair. A lot of hair was involved. A lot of hair, a lot of records sold. But somewhere in between yeah. there, I would yeah. say, would it be 1988 that you played with a little band called Guns N' Roses? When Mr. Adler was out. That is true. Hmm. Yeah. There you go. That was a great call to get first thing in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. Can you be on a plane in three hours? Stephen broke his hand and I'm like, yes. No. Uh, <laughs> wow. And uh, I, uh, I said, yeah, I'll be there. And I got there and we didn't have any rehearsal and we just took it for there. But Stephen and I were friends uh, prior to that. So he said, I want to have Fred come and, and take over for me because he didn't want the band to go home so that was really nice and then more recently more recently fred's been composing for you know the la kings in arena music their famous goal song and then you know a bunch of other teams and stuff like that so it's very exciting and our theme song can you tell us a little bit about where that song came from we picked it out of your voluminous library of music tracks 
Yeah, that was something. So I, I, I sent that to you guys, just a whole bunch of music saying, what do you like? And I'll create something kind of like that. Or if there's anything in this, let me know and point me in a direction and, and I'll go with something for you guys. And you called back and said, we want this. So uh, I just I re-recorded all of it and added some camera sounds in the middle of it. If you notice, some of the percussion is actually cameras, and and then sent it back. And you guys were gracious enough to, to put it as your theme. So, oh, so I got thankful. The greatest. We love. Never it. get tired of it. But let me tell you something about that guy. Yes, uh, Gabe. On stage, this is the the life changing moment that made me become a television composer. Is I'm on stage. We're playing this enormous demo. It's outside. It's probably 30,000 people. Gabe drives me down and we're at a sound check and he taps me on the back and he said, hold on, hold on. On the way down, he was saying, if I get this show, you're going to be our composer. And I oh, said, uh, great. what? Okay, great. Cause that's all I've always wanted to do that. Stops me. I stopped the band. He takes a phone call there. The band is going, Who's this? What, what's he doing? Hold on. And he comes back and he goes, you got a show. And that was it. That was the oh, life changing. It was in deadline moment. that they might yeah. pick up the sax due to medical drama, and then I got the call after and said, "Oh, that's, that's so great! It was fun. That's and a I good quit, story." I quit the band within a month. That's so great. <laughs> I was like, I'm out. Yeah. So. All right, now Keith is the only member of our family with any artistic talent to speak of. Keith, could you talk a little bit about your background as an artist and how you got roped into being a member of the I Dream of Cameras family? Um, what is my background? I don't know. I mean, I always drew stuff, but my day job is in advertising. I started off as an art director and then became a writer, but I also majored in graphic design in college. So I do a little bit of everything, but yeah, I think I'm just sort of the default when any of my siblings are like, Hey, I needed a logo or an ad or something like that. And I just love doing it, especially for, you know, cameras, which are just gorgeous industrial design and i just absolutely love cameras but you know i'll do anything my siblings ask me to do <laughs> can you talk about a couple of like the uh a couple of day job things that people might know they're not going to know anything of course <clears> they are. You live in, we have very sophisticated this audience. is my favorite this is my favorite thing uh because it's so dumb and i mean that in a, in a good way if you live in the south especially in the north carolina area i worked on the bojangles account for like five years so if yeah. you talk to anyone now about Bojangles, they'll say, oh, it's bow time or whatever it is that I wrote that. that that's my nice. sort of there southern you go. claim to fame. Very You're cool. the bow time And what's guy. weird is that if I'm in North Carolina or something, uh, someone will tell somebody, this is the guy. This is the guy that wrote bow time. And it's like everything stops. They're like, really? really? Like you're the what? And I'm like, well, first of all, this was like 10 years ago, but whatever. But it still happens all the time. People are like, oh, you're the bow time guy? So that's a weird <laughs> regional so kind of claim to yeah, fame. Yeah, I like it. I, and Bojangles is a chain of fried chicken restaurants for those of us who are not in That's right. Line. Yeah, their big competition is Popeye's probably. Uh -oh. um, so okay. there's that. I mean, I think at one time I had written the taglines for a bunch of big companies like NASDAQ and Coldwell Banker and stuff like that. And I had all of them running at the same time, which was kind of cool. But my favorite really thing cool. was, I won't mention who this happened with because I don't want a bad mother, but Jeff introduced me to a celebrity friend of his. And uh, I'll give you a hint. She worked on Will and & Grace. And when I met her, 
the week, I think it was the week before or something like that, a commercial that I had written aired during an episode of Will and Grace that Jeff had written. So when I met her, uh. she's like, yeah, you know, hey, what do you do? Whatever. She didn't really care. And I said, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm a writer. I do the, you know, I, I, write, I write ads or whatever, commercials or something. And I said, you know, it's so interesting. This commercial I wrote aired during an episode uh, of Will and Grace that Jeff wrote. So when they say Jews control the media, they're talking about the two of us. <laughs> you know what I got from her? Nothing. 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 She went, Nothing. okay, anyway, about this script, like ignored it. <laughs> and I've, I've, I ha I've had this chip on my shoulder about her ever since. She's delightful, by the way, <laughs> except for that one moment. I love it. I love it. All right, let's get to the uh, the topic of today's broadcast, which is the host gave us cameras. Did either of you have experience with analog photography before you were given this gift? Let's start with Fred. Other than the old Kodak Oh, I love that one. No. Nice. Serious, serious photography, no. My father-in-law had a bunch of old cameras, and he used to love to shoot with those. But uh, what was that one, Gabe? The X, Exter? X, something that looked like a road? Exacta? Yeah, they, he had some uh, really cool cameras. Yeah, but uh, no, I had no, okay. no All real right. experience. Keith, what about you? I think the only analog camera I ever sort of had was remember was it like the Kodak disc camera? Remember that it was like a oh, like yeah. a flat. It was really the design was really cool, but you know it just it took crappy pictures. So there's that, and then I stole this from my grandfather, the SX70, uh, which I, I absolutely love. Nice, perfect. Um, you know, I know you guys just did an episode about Polaroids. I liked it so much I built it out of Legos. Oh, oh that's, that's fantastic. Hold on. Look at this. Wait. I can take your picture better. and then this. hold on. Let me just let this air dry. Hold it. And then look, it's <laughs> it's all of us. Oh <laughs> not really. Okay. Oh, I'll post God, a picture of that so the guys so, can post it on their uh that Instagram, is so but I love good. that it actually has Polaroid that, um, that is excellent. Did you shoot with that SX-70? I shoot with it all the time. It's got film in it now. I even got the little flash attachment ah, for the top so I can shoot indoors. Nice. Um, nice. So before I got the OM-1 that you guys gave me, that you gave me, Jeff, um, not you, Gabe. You didn't give me crap. I didn't give you anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, before I had that, no, there was no, uh, the only analog was the SX-70 and that was it. Everything else right. has been okay. either a digital camera or my phone. All right, now Gabe, talk to me about giving Fred the camera, like the one you gave him, and why? What ha what was the camera, and what did you give him? I gave him a Rolleiflex three point five from I believe around nineteen forty nine, and it was was it birthday or Christmas? I can't remember, but it that wasn't one was birthday. Yep, and birthday? so yeah. I just you know I I love those cameras so much and and just thought he would enjoy you know the design and also maybe shooting with them but the funny thing is what happens when you give someone a camera I don't know if this is in your case Keith but everyone is very precious about each picture so they don't want to waste it or they don't want to rush through it because they want to and all <laughs> I'm doing is like Fred, just finish the roll. Well, I have plenty of film, <laughs> uh, I, tons of film. I'll give you as much film as you want. Just finish the roll. And it's just so funny because, and I noticed this the other day with with Liliana, is like every picture 
was an event and then we'll take two weeks to finish the role. So right. um, Fred has only taken a couple months to finish the role, but it's, uh, okay. it is 12 shots. So yeah. he will get through it soon. Fred, had you ever seen one of those Roloflexes before, like in the Vivian Meyer documentary or something? Had you ever seen that kind of a camera? I've seen them, yeah, because my father-in-law had a, a couple of those. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. But, and I've seen them, you know, I think to me that's the most iconic camera from that. Th th that was the one, you know, with yeah. the double lenses. So I've seen a lot of them. I've just, I didn't know anything about them. I saw people looking down and I just didn't know how they... They worked, and I, you know, I saw eighty of them over at Gabe's house. So. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, and then the first time I looked into it and saw a subject, whatever it was, that was one of the things that just hooked me. Uh, it, the just looking through it, it was just beautiful. It was art on its own. Just looking down, I was like, I just want that. That picture is fine with me. Whatever it is with the the graininess and just there's a depth to it that I don't get from any digital camera. I, I've never seen that sort of depth. That's already, I could just, that's what I think one of the problems that Gabe is talking about that I am so precious because there's no looking at it afterwards. And you just, I get lost in staring at, Oh my gosh, is this, and then I move it this way. And it's of course the wrong way. I need to move it back that way. <laughs> and uh, once I, I'm like, oh, that's such a, every single inch of that thing is just a beautiful picture. And I don't want to waste it. I want to, because I'll be, Gabe is the one that has to develop it. So I don't want to <laughs> right. put him through it. <laughs> now, yeah, I was going to ask you about the uh, reversed image. That must have thrown you at first. I remember that threw me when I first started using a TLR. Not only left and right, but the angle of the pitch of the thing. Yes. So that right. was a big one to me. It's a, just to try to get it something straight was really difficult. But boy, when it, something's in focus, you just want to get that shot. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It really is. I mean, it really hooked me. I don't want to take pictures with anything else. I just, I, yeah. I so you've made it through one roll at this point. One roll. Yeah. One roll. Did you, did you do research, read the manual, or did you just fly by the seat of your pants? I looked at things that uh, Gabe sent me because I said, hey, what do I do? I'm so sure Gabe said, gave you everything. <laughs> yeah, and I studied it because I, I didn't know. There's nothing. There's like this, anything out. There's no green square that comes around where I need to do. And, <laughs> Auto focus? Oh, beep, beep. Oh, perfect. That's, there's nothing. And um, so I bought a, a brick of film it probably lasts me for the next couple of years, but uh, because I am precious <laughs> and it's five rolls. Uh, but it's really, yeah, it's, it's just amazing. I, I can't wow. wait to get comfortable with it and start really being able to go out and shoot and be confident in shooting. But it really gave me a love of, uh, of this sort of photography. When I was with Fred the first time he was using it, it, it just brought me back for when the first time I looked through a TLR and it was magical, really. I mean, it was just, you know, without the magnifier, you're just, it just looks so perfect. It was like seeing a slide for the first time, you know, it's yeah. just, just crisp and, and I loved it. So it was great to see him go through that. It was really, really fun. You know, Fred, I love the way you described that because I really remember that feeling of looking at a ground glass image for the first time. And it is like looking into a little world. Like it feels, mm -hmm. even though you're looking at what is ostensibly a flat image, 
it does feel like you're looking into little terrarium with creatures in it. It feels like something exactly. is alive inside. Yeah. And it's really, I totally get being hypnotized by the beauty of that. I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Keith, what did you get? I what did you get? Got the Olympus OM1, which is gorgeous. Look beautiful. at that. Um, and intimidating. Oh, yeah. Sorry. It does have a strap. I know how you guys feel about it. But uh, yes. Gabe loves straps. I, I love, love straps. it because I don't drop the camera. Um, yeah. How did it arrive? You didn't know it was coming, right? I think I just sprung it on you. Yeah, you did. And I was just like, when I <laughs> when I opened it up, I'm just like, okay, I got to learn math now. But that's <laughs> that's the biggest thing is that the whole exposure triangle, all that stuff. I got. I have to. You know, I learn better by doing. So. You know, I started off, I I, I I grilled Jeff over text and then over a call or whatever. It was just like, okay, what does this mean? What does that mean? Just taking notes literally on my phone so I can carry the notes with me wherever I go, where it's like, okay, this <laughs> means action. And this, if you want, you know, uh, you know, a lot of depth, do this and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And then figure it out from there. So yeah, I was really, I'm still intimidated by it. I've shot two roles so i'm i'm just way ahead way ahead of fred you know <laughs> um but yeah but shooting that first role it was it's exact i mean even with the second role it, it's i'm very precious about it. it's like okay you know and i'm trying to get comfortable and try to be like all right let's just crank through these but my background because i was an art director i mean I, i've i've art directed so many photographers before and you know i was I'm so old. I did this during the period of time where everything was analog first. And so we, every, you know, it was, everything was really precious and there's budgets to consider and you can't blow through a bunch of film. And then when everything turned digital, it all became what it is now, which is like everything's disposable and you don't really think about the shots as much or, or you can just do a bunch of coverage or whatever it might be. So once I had the OM1, I was just like, I gotta, I gotta really think about what I want to shoot. And when I got to the second role, I was a little bit less precious because it was really more about like, I wonder what this will do and I wonder what that'll do. And now I'm just curious about film stocks. That's my big thing now. Because my next one that's up is this black and white, which I, which Jeff gave me, which is whatever this is. Is it? Ferrania P30. Okay. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited yeah. about that because I love black and white photography. But yeah, it was intimidating. It's intimidating to, to go... Sure this thing and it has so many different moving parts and like i said math i didn't get the math gene my twin got the math gene um <laughs> but i'm figuring it out i you know when i got the pictures back from the very first roll i was shocked that i think 30 out of 36 were in focus and they looked like something there were only like a few that were just like just gray you know just a big old thing of gray because i forgot to hit the light meter thing or whatever the hell it is um <laughs> But uh, I was really excited. It's a whole different type of thing getting those those images. Well, it's fascinating to me that you art directed other photographers. It must have made you think think about that because those th- you know art directing is so specific. Yeah. And sort of it's directing. It's literally. But it's not doing. It be? That's the thing that's interesting. Yeah. Where I'm like, <laughs> right. I want this to be more dramatic, and then he right. adjusts some lights, and I said, okay, that's what I asked for. I don't say like, ah, take it down a couple stops, or or whatever people right. say who own cameras. Um, <laughs> it's very much like I want this kind of thing or this kind of whatever. So yeah, to do it yourself. Um, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, it was tough. But also the thing that was so interesting to me about getting the photographs back was. I can't tell you how long it's been since I've zoomed in on a photograph and not seen pixels. 
And you right, zoom yeah. in on a photo, it is, it's, you know, grain um, yeah. that you're seeing. It's, you're seeing a thing. It feels, even though I, I don't have any prints of anything that I've, I've done yet, which I'm going to do, it just, it feels more tangible to me. Everything about it feels tangible. It's deliberate when you're, you know, choosing the subject and the angle and the, you know, what you're going to do with it. And then when you get it back, like, it's just like, you've made this thing. And I think I've made so much out of it uh, that I, I still carry a lot of that preciousness with the roles, but I'll start plowing through them once I get a little more comfortable. But right now it's like, I've, I've, I've done two whole roles. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's going to take That's some time. Great. That's so cool. Fred, does your camera have a meter? Does it have an exposure meter? Uh, no, I got this. Oh, good. You have it right there. Oh, you have, Oh, a handheld yes, meter. Yes, I yeah. uh, made sure he had a handheld meter. That's fantastic. So was there a learning curve for you as well, figuring out the kind of the exposure triangle of it all, like f-stops and shutter speeds and stuff like that? Was that overwhelming? No, oh, I still called. I Absolutely. I still called Gabe. We were in Phoenix, and I said, Gabe, okay, now what? I'm taking a picture <laughs> of the desert, but I'm under a canopy that... <laughs> Uh, and it would just went on, and I said, "Are you focused on anything?" I know I'm no, I'm freaking out, and it's 200 degrees. I think I'm having a heat stroke. I don't know what to do. So <laughs> he said, "What's your meter say?" And I said, "700." I don't know. He goes, "No, it doesn't." But so he helped me with this thing. <laughs> so I'm still a bit intimidated by by this. 5.6 seems to be the normal in a, yeah. on a normal day, right? So I, sure, I'm there. Sure. At least I have that. Yeah. Um, but out there it was weird because that's the first time I had just total bright sunshine, but I was in shade. So that was something I don't, so that picture is just going to be solid black, but <laughs> I hope it comes out somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I call Gabe a lot on this and just say, Hey, what do I do? And you know, he walks me through it. Okay. Take a couple of shots like this, but this is the key. <laughs> yeah. And I will say, it is, uh, it, I would imagine for, if you're starting out as a photographer, the handheld meter, having a separate object, I just think that's an extra level of challenge. Like I felt for me, when I was using my first cameras with a built-in meter, I could start to feel how, oh, if I turn the shutter speed dial this way, the needle goes up. And if I turn the aperture, it goes back down. So I started to kind of feel the balance the same way when you're learning to drive a stick you start to sort of sense the pitch of the engine right. and you know when to mm -hmm. shift. I feel like with an external meter, you don't get that kind of tactile, like third dimension of how to manipulate the dials. It's more like I hold up a meter, there are numbers on it, and then I transfer it to the camera. And so it's much more challenging. Right. What I'm saying, Fred, is your job mm -hmm. is a lot harder. <laughs> it's a lot harder. Well, I, I tried with the, the Leica at, because you can see what you're doing. And I think it's a good training thing, but this thing, you know, Gabe is like, okay, which way is the bulb facing? First of all. And I said, well, it's pointing at me. And he said, okay, let's turn that around. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good, okay. So that was, that was the first lesson. Okay. Always have this not pointing at me yes. pointing at the subject. So, um, and that's what I use the, the digital camera to kind of learn this a little bit. I think right. that was another suggestion that Gabe had is because it's, instant you can change the f stop or all of it did you do you have not gotten back your first role yet is it at the lab or have you i think have he's, I he's on i think he's on um shot 12 i'm ready to i'm ready to deliver 
Okay. I can't I can't believe you haven't just blown off that last shot. Like if I get <laughs> to I shot said, twelve, I'm just yeah. In my defense, I said it was such a gracious gift that I said, Gabe, the last shot's going to be oh, on you. Right. Yes. Oh, so, that's of me. lovely. So that's I haven't uh, I've been to his house three times. I haven't taken the camera. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next Saturday I'm gonna be back in yes, in his neighborhood. So definitely. I'm gonna take it. Yeah. Fred, what about carrying around a big box like that as opposed to having a camera in your pocket all the time? I mean, does it make you I, more aware? I like it. it. It makes me look at everything differently. If I have this with me, I look at everything as a photo rather than the, the phone is just good for if a pterodactyl swoops down and takes some, you know, <laughs> oh, I got to grab that. But uh, this, if you have it with you, although I did try to buy a, a strap for it on eBay uh, on Amazon or something that said it was made for it. It didn't fit. Yeah. Um, Rolleiflex straps are a huge, huge thing because they have these special scissor connectors that are, that nobody makes. So it's a huge problem. So I, yeah, I don't have that, but I do have a gorgeous leather case for it. Um, And, but I look at everything as a photo. Now, anything from like, it could be a, electric wires and i go oh man that would be a great picture uh, so that's i think that's if you have something that's that big and you're carrying around a real camera you look at everything as i want to shoot that but then you know you, you have to 11 pictures in a year so. <laughs> right <laughs> keith was that your experience as well yeah uh, well mine is really more like you know i you see a bunch of pictures and you're like i i don't why are people taking pictures of that and now that I have a camera, I'm like, hey, ducks, I'm going to take some pictures of ducks. <laughs> like I'm taking pictures of things because same thing, like I'm looking at it differently or whatever it is. It's still going to be a damn picture of a duck and nobody cares. But I care because I was there shooting the duck. But it does do that. You do start to frame things. You do start to look at different you know, angles that might be more interesting or something. But then now I know why there are so many pictures of ducks, for example. Because <laughs> um, a lot of people are like, I got a camera and it's cool. I got to um, shoot some ducks. But yeah, exactly. I, you know, I went the other day and just like, I just, I strapped on my camera and walked through the park. And I like, I've never done that for the express purpose of shooting pictures. And that was just a different experience. Usually it's just, oh, I'll just walk through the park, or whatever. And it does, it changes right. your perspective about, about a lot of things, not just the yeah. stuff that you shoot, but the stuff that you see other people right. shoot. Now, you took the camera with you when you took your son on a trip to Seattle, right? Is that correct? I did. Yeah. And that was kind of your maiden voyage traveling with it, right? Well, that was my maiden voyage, I think, shooting with it, too, I believe. Yeah, right? It wasn't long after you got it, Yeah, I think, I, think right? I took a couple of pictures of my son, and then the rest were all about him in Seattle and just Seattle in, in general. And talk about an interesting place to shoot stuff. Definitely. But yeah, so now, you know, it, it, it it's weird. I want to take it everywhere. That's great. Yeah, you know? that is great. Did did you ever get frustrated because in fiddling with this or that dial, you missed the shot you wanted, especially when you're with your kid? Did that ever happen? Um, here's the thing. I'm quick with my phone. So if I'm setting up something with the OM1 and I'm like, all right, this isn't going to happen. I'll just whip that thing out and just take it because it's like it's my son. I don't want to miss that moment. And there have been, I think, one or two instances where I'm like, do that again, you know, which is cheating a little, but I don't care. 
Uh, <laughs> it still happened. <laughs> Nobody will ever happen. know. Anyway, yes. um, so that does happen a little bit, but I don't. I I don't really treat the camera like it's a response to something immediate. That uh, that I feel for me at least until I get really comfortable. That to me seems like more of a phone thing. But uh, if it is deliberate or something like that, then um, you know I'll take my time with it. But yeah, I I, I knew that, I, that that's how I was going to be with it. If something exciting happened, then I'd be like, oh, hold it, hold it. Oh, God, I missed it. And just be so frustrated. I'm like, I don't need that anxiety at this point. I want to learn the camera so that I can do the whatever exposure triangle thing without really thinking about, like you said, about driving a stick. I've already started to get that sense that you were saying about like, oh, if I turn this and adjust that, it's going to do these things. And the more comfortable I get with that, I think the more I'll just be like, all right, let's shoot from the hip kind of thing. Yeah. Fred, one of the things that I love about the Roloflex is that square frame. And I feel like, mm. for me, I love the Roloflex, and Gabe does this too, I think, is, as, as a portrait camera. I yeah. feel like that's a camera that is naturally adapted for portraits. Did you find that you were drawn toward certain types of subject matter because of the camera, because of the square frame? No, I think just because everything looked so beautiful, it didn't <laughs> matter. I think I took a picture of a lemon on his tree. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and I was like, this is going to be the best black and white lemon ever. My wife's going to hate it because I'm just going to have, I'm going to blow everything up. They're going to be poster sized, big square <laughs> things. And they're going to be all over the house. <laughs> and, um, but everything, well, I don't know what it's going to look like, but even pictures through the trees of the ocean, everything, I, there wasn't anything that, that really stood up. Everything was art through it. My back hurt. I was focusing so much that that night I got home and I'm like, Oh my gosh, my back, what could have happened? The whole time. And I didn't want to look up. I was like, Oh, it's gotta be perfect. Okay. okay. Dave, did you just have a term for that? Was there a term? Yeah. It's Roloflex back. (laughs) That's a thing. (laughs) You're always hunched over shooting and you get Roloflex back. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Keith, what was your favorite shot from that first role? Well, first I want to ask you, the anticipation. Can you talk a little bit about, about the delayed gratification syndrome <laughs> that comes with It's the film? greatest thing. Anyone who says otherwise is wrong. It's great. I know that everybody's about immediacy and all that, but there's something nice about like, I've given it all these ingredients and now it's cooking and I just got to wait for it to be ready. And that was really great. When I started going through the, the shots and... Like the first few shots were just like, these are badass. I'm amazing. That's what I kept saying. <laughs> I am amazing. I don't know why I held up photographers as such great artists because I can do this shit. Look at <laughs> my glasses. I put my glasses on the table and I took a picture of them and it was like lemon quality, Fred. It was so, <laughs> it's like my desktop picture now because I love the picture of my stupid glasses. Uh, and then a couple of those other shots, like the ones that were totally gray came in and I was like, okay, whatever. But I was really, I loved that feeling. So when I just sent off the second roll, I'm giddy. I'm like, I can't wait to see like, what did I screw up and what did I do? Right. And like it, it there's, it's a whole different thing. The, the delayed gratification thing. It is incredibly gratifying. So I, I like that. Part yeah. of it. It's my, it's probably my favorite part of it is just the anticipation of like, what's going to happen. 
Yeah. I remember talking to you when you had just gotten the pictures uploaded by the darkroom and were just looking at the first few frames. And just that must have been, particularly for an, uh, someone who's shooting their first roll of film in a really, really long time, yeah. right? To like have that, oh my God, this is not even a disaster. This is actually really cool stuff that I oh, made. Yeah. Like I remember in the old days, if you shot something terrible, they put that sticker on it. You know, oh, yeah. The sticker that basically <laughs> identifies you as a total idiot. You know, because the, the yeah. stickers are always worded like, maybe you should try this, or maybe it would be better. If, it was so passive aggressive, those stickers. And it, it should have just said, you suck, keep trying. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's how it was. It's like the first few were just like, oh my God, these are like photos, you know? Um, yeah. And even the ones that, you know, because I, I did kind of the same thing you were talking about earlier where I'm like, I'm rounding the end. I got one shot left. I have nothing to shoot, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I'm just going to shoot, you know, whatever. I think it was the building across the street for me. Cause it's a cool looking building. And I'm like, whatever. But I was just so eager to get the roll back that I'm like, I'm just going to blow this, this last shot. Cause I just want to see everything else uh, yeah. that I had shot. And um, it is, it's thrilling. It really is thrilling. You just don't, you'll never get that with a, a phone or a digital camera. It's it's too immediate. And I think you don't really contemplate enough of what you're shooting um, when everything's just so disposable. I mean, that's what I love is that, you know, you just don't take your time in digital. I mean, I find myself doing portraits and uh, when I'm shooting digital, I'll shoot. I'm doing a lot less now, but I would just, you know, shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. And then I have a thousand pictures when I load them into my computer. And I'm going through them, and then I always love the film shots better because mm. I've taken my time. I've taken my time. I've seen the shot. I framed it carefully. And there's just more care going into that process, which is what's exciting to hear from you guys is that you see that. And I think that's something that I think more, you know, kids are also interested in analog because of it's a different process and it slows things down and everything's so immediate and everything's Instagram right. and TikTok. And so it's very right. exciting to see people slow down and take great. It really pictures. is cool. And I I'd also think that the drawback of digital is that you have too many options. I remember right. uh, I was working for this, like it was like a furniture client, storehouse furniture, and we do all these shoots and, you know, they'd rent out some mansion and put a bunch of their furniture in it and shoot it. And because we're shooting digital, it was just like, you know, you get, hundreds of of images of the same thing and it was like well that curtain is slightly this so that curtain is you know it's like it's it's too much and i feel like if we were just a little bit more deliberate a little bit more sort of we didn't have that sort of disposable mentality we would have gotten it right within the first five shots instead of saying right. let's just cover it and shoot a bunch of different things and i just think having too many options is tough i like to have a narrow corridor of things to sort of you know yes uh, to choose from Definitely. The similarity of shooting analog and recording in analog yeah. are the same. So Tell me in about the that. old days, well, in the old days, you had to find, it had to be the right part. And then it had to be, you only had a finite uh, amount of tracks. So you had to choose the right part, then get the performance and then get it down. And then you had to record it properly or punch it in properly, because if you didn't, it wouldn't sound right. So all of that, and you had to bias the tape, and you had everything that you have to do with lighting, basically, also applied to tape. It could be distorted, which we can distort in a photo, or 
it, it was all of that. And I find the same thing with digital artists will come in and they'll just, just do a hundred tracks and then, okay, just sift through them and find the best ones, put them together and make it look great. So it's exactly um, the same as your point about that is nobody cared about the performance anymore. And I think that's with digital photography. You just they have a 2000 shots and whoopty, there's gotta be, there's bound to be one good one. Whereas this, I, I'm 11 shots. I, I, let's face it. I only have 11 on this roll because one's at least one's going to be completely black. So it's not going to be on anything. <laughs> My right. biggest fear is getting one right and not knowing anything. So I told Gabe at the beginning, I said, I'm going to take a little notebook and I'm going to write down exactly what I did. I didn't sure. do that. So I'm going <laughs> to hopefully have one next picture roll. in next roll. Yep. And I won't know what it is. And maybe you can suss out what that is. I, I'm expecting a lot of those stickers. You have stickers at your house? Because if you develop this, I would like it. Okay. But it is. It's digital and analog recording music and photography. It's 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 a parallel. It's, 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 I like that parallel a lot. I have a question. Wait, I, just real quick, Jeff. I have a, I have a question about that because the other thing that I noticed when I got the first rollback was, you know, just because of my day job and things like that, art directing and graphic design. There's a lot of Photoshop work, you know, and even when I'm taking pictures with my phone, uh, you know, I'm I'm doing different Photoshop work on that is because, you know, it just doesn't do a good job. And when I got back the first role, I was like, I'm not touching any of these. Not because they they needed it and I'd had to do it. They didn't need it. That was the other thing. It's like it was so pure and it was so good. And I just wonder if with music, it's the same type of thing where it's like if you get somebody in there and they're recording all these different versions and then you're assembling it. Is that the real thing or is that the uh, like the audio right. version of Photoshop? where you're just picking and choosing and modifying in this. And it's not really anything that they ever truly sort of played, you know, like they couldn't reproduce that necessarily because you're doing so much work. That's how a lot of Photoshop photographs are. Like you couldn't shoot that ever because there's too many layers and things that I've done, you know, in Photoshop. And I loved the, the purity of it. It's like, it's like listening to, you know, seeing a band live. Like that's, you're getting what you're getting. Mm -hmm. That is identical. That's exactly right. That is, is exactly how it how it happens. I just really like uh, digital. We put it through the computer and a solo. So many times I'll do a solo and I'll just make a great solo out of something, and the guitar player is like, "I can't play that." Right. It's like it would have been nice to just come in, but they don't want to take the time. A lot of them. So when you're recording on analog, we say the sound comes from the source, and it almost mixes itself when you have a big board and. You're not there's no auto tune if you listen to yacht rock which is a great station right. if you yes. haven't heard it yeah. yes there's no auto tune there's no drum detecting the beat detect there's nothing it's pure and it's exactly what and most of it's done live and they put it down and maybe a couple of overdubs but there's no photoshop yeah on but it's beautiful as is yeah. that's the thing it's like pure. it's not that it's i'm like better. oh i like it because of its flaws there are no it's it's just gorgeous you know well Everybody makes, and they, I'm sure they do it now with your guys' stuff, with photos. Everybody is trying to make the perfect plug-in for audio to sound like tape. Oh, sure. To make it sound analog. So I wonder, do you guys have that in your world of oh, absolutely, photography? That, absolutely. There's, yeah. there's all kinds of layering yeah. and how do we make this look more like film, which is just the craziest thing ever. But yeah, it happens all yeah. the time. Yeah, well, that's that. They also 
perfected that process in the uh, in the two thousands of making digital cinema look yep. like film. And it was t- it took a while. The first couple of years of that, none of us wanted to do it, no, because it looked so bad, and we could tell the difference. And then at a certain point, we had to throw up our hands and admit, I, I can't really tell. I can't really tell, and it's more convenient, and you don't ever have to yell cut. And so, like, we gave ourselves over to it. But you see filmmakers like J.J. Abrams shooting big swaths of the Star Wars movies on film with actual practical effects. Because when you are destroying an actual car, there is just something palpably different to destroying a digital car. Right. You can just, you can just tell something ineffable, something is happening that just makes it feel different. Yeah, and I think that's what it is with this, is that that lack of pixels, you know, and and just everything that makes it so analog is, uh, I don't know, it just, it. I, I don't know. I mean, we can have a discussion about if it's better or whatever. I just think it's different and I just sort of prefer it. It's different. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I do think, and Fred, you kind of alluded to this, but I do think limitations yield interesting results. Definitely. You know, mm-hmm. um, I liked when I was writing half hour comedies, you know, that you were limited to a certain number of sets and a certain number of minutes and seconds for your story. Tell me like about a it. Will and Grace episode, <laughs> which yes. A Will and Grace episode, yes, of course Keith does this. Yeah, everything has to be thirty seconds. Now it has to be six. Yeah. 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 And so those limitations are at first maddening and exasperating. But when you can find a way to squeeze into that, or you can find, oh my God, I never thought I could use this set this way. Or if I repurpose this costume, or if I repurpose this prop or whatever, or if, or you know what? It turns out we don't need the C scene. I, we really thought we needed it, but when we got into editing and we were at 26 minutes, the 22 minute version just had a propulsion that we didn't expect, you know? And so I think those limitations often bring out creativity where infinite choice often yields paralysis. Yes, agreed. Absolutely. I see that at the Bennigan's menu. <laughs> I can't even make a choice of that thing. <laughs> it's like the menu at Jerry's. Yeah, exactly. Now, I think I would say it's safe to assume, I mean, just the way you were talking a minute ago, Fred, it sounds like you are encouraged to shoot more. You did not come away from this experience discouraged uh, that you yeah. just want to keep shooting, shooting, shooting. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. I think it's great. And I told Gabe, I said, I, I just, I, I'm kind of addicted to the thing. And I just, even if I just look through it, but I just want to shoot film. And I have a Leica. I have a Q. And I'd rather shoot that. We went to Paris and I forgot that at home. It, Gabe was like, take the camera, take the camera. You have to take your, okay. And we, we were late. We ended up going, where's the camera? Not here. So my wife, we were like, let's take some pictures with the iPhone. And my wife said, you out of your mind? Let's go to Leica. And we went to Leica and bought another camera, a different one, because we had to have it. I wish I had this then. Because could you imagine? Oh, in Paris. Paris sure. with that? Oh, my gosh. So now we have to do another. Maybe that's the next gift. It's a trip to Paris. Yeah, exactly. That camera. It's coming. Mm-hmm. It's coming. Oh. <laughs> In the mail. And so, Keith, you've already shot through two rolls. I, I gave Keith, along with the camera, a roll of Fuji Superior 400, a roll of Loma Chrome Purple, and a roll of Ferrania P30. And you've gone through two of the three, it sounds That's like. That's right. Yeah. And about to dive into the Ferrania, which is a great, great stock in its own right. It's, I'm really interested to see how you respond to black and white. I'm just, I'm the cool. most excited about that. I love black and white photography. And 
so yeah, I'm really, I, I feel like I'm probably going to be a little more precious with those than I was with the others, which I didn't even, I didn't even think that was possible, but I'll try to relax about them and just take some shots and see what happens. But I'm very excited about the black and white. So this leads me to kind of the question that I don't know that in some ways this podcast is built on, <laughs> which is having had this positive experience with analog photography, are you now yearning to try other cameras? acquire more cameras or more gear? Are you thinking about that at all? I am. Fred, talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I am. I think it, I, I would love to do that. Just be, because, again, the art of it, there's more of an artist to me. And going back to the recording thing, there's more of an art to recording to analog. Because on the computer, you can get the same size. Everybody it, here can get the exact same sound I can because... There's no different, but with a film camera, we are all going to see something, frame it. It's going to come up with a different grain, a different depth. And that's where the artistry comes in. I'm not going to come out with a great, if I get lucky, I'll take a nice shot, but you guys are going to have these amazing pictures. And that's why I want to start, you know, listening to your show. I'm like, okay, here's a camera that he found in a swap meet for 35 bucks. (laughs) So (laughs) I see these, now I'm going around to, you know, garage sales yes. before COVID and just go, hmm, I wonder what's in this box. I'm trying to, to find some, I'd like to do it. And so, and I only have black and white so far. I haven't taken a, a color photo yet, but uh, I think the black and white will be more forgiving maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So th- there isn't a specific camera you have your eye on just yet, but you're open to exploring. I'm open to exploring all of it. And I, I keep, you know, I'll send Gabe pictures from Phoenix and say, hey, should I take this one? Because he's got a big <laughs> box of all yeah. of these cameras. I'm like, which one should I? Oh, grab that one. Okay, cool. <laughs> grab this one. So I'll do yeah. that on the on the next trip for sure. Cool. Keith, what about you? Sort of. Um, okay. Because where I am is, you know, I'm, I'm getting used to this camera. And that is already sort of intimidating enough. So it's just like, oh God, another camera. I got to learn. I got to learn different math for this probably. It all centers around math. But really what I want to do is first, I want to play with different film stocks. That's my first thing. Because, you know, I had no idea there was such a range and that they do all these different things. And that's really fascinating. And then I think I probably want to move on to like lenses. I really yeah, like, smart. I'm a sucker for like shallow depth of field and like macro photography and stuff like that. And I would love to just get a big, fat, chunky lens, you know, to help me with something like that. Uh, I don't know what I'm really talking about, but I've seen it before with long lenses. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think it's that. I think it's really like, what can I do to get the most out of this camera? And then once I'm all comfortable with that, it's like, all right, let's see what else uh, is out there. Yeah. The great thing about the OM-1 as a starter camera is, I mean, not only is it a great machine, but the lenses are amazing. Yeah. Gabe, I have a sense, is about to buy an 85mm oh F2. It's I have so a feeling great. That I had never, <laughs> I had only heard of the OM-1. I didn't know much about it until Jeff told me and we started talking about it on the show. And then, of course, I ordered one, which turned into three. And now <laughs> I have, um, I have now gotten the fourth. I've sent it away to be fixed. So uh, I love it. I love it. I didn't know the history and the association with Leica. So all of that information just made me love it even more. And I love shooting with it. You've gotten great results out of it. I, I've only shot it twice, but I, yeah. I absolutely love it. It's so compact. But yeah. Yeah. And it is, like I said, it's a really good lens system. 
So, you know, if you were just to start with that body and say, all right, the next thing I want to get is a wide angle or a macro or extension tubes or a telephoto. I mean, it's a huge system camera and the lenses aren't that expensive. The 85 is one of those. It's so funny because Simon Forrester from (laughs) Classic Lenses was like, uh, I can't believe you don't have the 85 F2. (laughs) And of course, then I go, oh, no, now I got to go look for this lens. He's excited about it. I'm going to be excited about it. It's a good one. Yep. Yeah. The thing about the Roloflex there, Fred, is that is the camera. There really is not much to add to it. Yep. It's the it is the box and it's perfect in its own right. Except, it's not really except what? I did get Fred a Rolinar. So Fred oh. is able to do some close up work. Oh uh, nice. That's gonna be in a couple rolls. But yes. That'll I, be, uh, yeah, that'll I, be the next I found one for him. That's great, Rolinar too. That's great. You can get much closer to that lens. Fred and I should switch cameras (laughs) at some point. Exactly. Definitely. That would be cool. Because now I'm like, the more you talk about the Roloflex, like that's a gorgeous camera. That's the one I'm used to shooting with back in my days of being an art director. And it's a a gorgeous camera. But yeah, I think eventually we should just switch. (laughs) It's a good one. Cool. All right. So to round out the hour, we're going to just swerve in a different direction (laughs) here. (laughs) Gabe, you want to start? So... This is trivia that um, <laughs> is there math that is will have to do with uh, our friendship and your brotherhood. Uh, yes, something you remember that we've experienced together, and uh, there may be a couple or one. Let's just see how it goes. So, yes. Fred, here is your question. Okay, your trivia question. This is the trivia. I moment. know. Here's your trivia moment. What is the most frightening thing you have ever heard on an airplane? that a pilot has said within earshot of us in (laughs) mid-flight. Uh-oh. That's correct. That was fun. Yeah. (laughs) So so let me me explain this. Um... So years back, years back, um, the LA Kings graciously flew us on a chartered flight to the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs in Arizona, okay? But um, we were on a plane that was, I guess the nicest way to say it is, was a little rickety. It was a big plane, but it was a little rickety. There were a lot of squeaks and a lot of things like that. But Fred and I were right up front. And uh, and the door was a little open, and we heard, "Uh oh," and we're like, "This is our last flight." From we the just cockpit. looked at each other and said, "This is it. This is the end of this." Oh boy! Oh god, that's a good. We were okay. making. We were we were, a, we were kind of making fun of the the guy as we were like, "You think he's drunk?" I don't know. You think he's drunk? He's just kidding around. You think he's drunk? I don't know. Look at him; his face is red. And then. We hear uh oh, uh oh, never good, never good, never never good. All right, here is my trivia question for oh. Keith about our relationship. I have three younger siblings. As I can I name mentioned. them. Yeah. <laughs> you win. All right. Well, th- this may give you an opportunity to do so. How many of my siblings were stoned at my rehearsal dinner? All three. that's so good that is correct you are correct you've won a free roll of film all right gabe back to you that's fantastic here's what's also funny i believe that might have been 
the third time ever that I was stoned. Like right. ever. Yes. Every, the two times before that, I think where I was like in a stable place, wasn't in company, whatever. And so that entire experience was that paranoia that people talk about. They're, they're going to know. They're going to know I'm stoned. Uh, so good. Plus, you know, it's a rehearsal dinner. Right. Yeah, it's just a it's rehearsal, rehearsal dinner. Exactly. Uh, okay, here's my, la- here's my last one. Second one and last one. Um, uh, Fred, Corey, what do you think is the most annoyed I've ever been with you? With me? Mm-hmm. Oh. Gosh, I never knew you were annoyed with me. Uh, I think if you think hard enough. <laughs> Boy, I put those sort of things right out of my... Uh, Should I give hints? Yeah. Now. You want a hint? <laughs> I want a hint. I want a, I want a hint, yeah. Okay, here's your hint. Late night eatery. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> was it Jerry's? Yes. Was it Jerry's and you were with the, you were with Dave from the Foo Fighters? Oh, my gosh. I just wanted to get a, I just wanted to get a bowl of soup. And this guy, Chatty Cathy, sits down, pulls his own string, and starts talking to me. And he's a he's a very famous drummer. sits down. He sat there for so, long, and I was like sitting right across from. Wait, from wait, Dave, wait, wait! Let I'm me let going, me really give you the story. Yeah. Okay. So Fred Fred wants some soup. So we're at Jerry's. Fred has graciously done this charity event with a bunch of famous musicians. Everyone's cleared out. Jerry's is empty. There's no one in it except a couple people at the bar. We sit down. Fred orders some soup. It's late. Yeah, it's late night. We're just going to get in and out of there. It's fine. Then Fred waves to this guy. He comes over and sits down across from me. And he starts talking. Next to me. Right next to Fred and never stops. And he's looking at Fred the entire time and never stops. And I'm sinking in the seat going, I'm never going to go home. This is getting to be now it's 45 (laughs) minutes of this. Fred hasn't been able to have any of his soup. He hasn't tried anything. No soup. It's cold now. And someone that I've known for years uh, who was waiting behind until everyone left was Dave Grohl. And Dave Dave comes and sits next to me. He goes, what are you still doing here? And I just, he, they're still talking. They don't notice Dave sat down right next to me. And Dave and I are sitting there. And I said, this is what's happening. I'm never going to leave here. I go, watch this. And they're not (laughs) noticing that Dave has sat down in Jerry's. And now we're just sitting there watching. And we even, which I'll post on this, like we even took a selfie of how miserable the experience was. (laughs) And it's it's me and Dave just like going, oh my God, this is, we're never going to get this time back ever. So Dave goes, I'm leaving. So Dave left. And then I was still there for another half hour. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, but it took me three acupuncture. <laughs> get rid of my, the creek in my neck. Yeah. I was staring at this guy the whole time. Yeah. I never got soup. My neck hurt. I was frozen in that position. And Dave was gone. And I was like, what? what, what? And the whole ride and home, I was, I was yeah. like, oh, Fred, I can never, ever see that person again. I love oh, I it. put blocks on the phone. I'll never take a call from him again. Right. <laughs> All right, guys, this was fabulous. I, I got to say, this was this so extraordinarily insightful. You guys are 
amazing guests and in describing the experience of analog photography to the neophyte. I cannot imagine a better an advertisement for trying an analog camera than what you two guys related today. So thank you so much. Thank you for the for camera. Being a part of this hour. Yeah, well, you, yeah, uh, thank geez. you both. It's our first show with two guests, Jeff. This is fantastic. I mean, next time, 18 guests. So I, let's see if we can do it. I think we're going to do it. Yeah. But also, let us thank you in person once again for your extraordinary artistic contributions to our podcast. Uh, we have more and better logos than any podcast on the air, and we have the best theme song of any podcast. There's a lot of podcast theme songs that are truly excruciating, and I listen to ours all the way through every time. I think it's awesome. We love it. So thank I just you so much. Thank, thank you. you for the for all the fine work and for your generosity in uh, in letting us use that little riff every week. I love it. Thank Gabe, you. Gabe, any final thoughts? I can't believe we got our entire corporation on one Zoom call. This is <laughs> very exciting. Amazing. <laughs> so, Keith, where can people find your artwork on the uh, internets? What a great question. Um, if you just go to my website, which is my name, keithgreenstein.com, E before I on both the names, there's some social links there. Most of the design stuff is on a website called Dribble. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's Dribble with three Bs, but there's a link to it off of my website. So that's probably the best place to find my stuff. Yeah. And your photography on Instagram can be found? At Copywriter. I got in really early on Instagram and scored Copywriter. So yeah, Excellent. you can find me there. I love that. Cool. And Fred, how about you? Where do we find you? You can find me on the interwebs, uh, at Fred Corey on both Twitter and uh, Instagram. And Double Forte Music is my uh, website for little knickknacks and what I'm doing and news on what shows I'm working on or all of that. Yes, and you can find links to the things we just said on our own homepage, idreamofcameras.com. Please also email us if you care to respond to any of the things that you hear in this or any other episode, idreamofcameras at gmail.com. You can also follow Gabe and me on Instagram, and you already know how to do that. Exactly. Because are long-time listeners, and we're a smash hit podcast. <laughs> okay. This has been episode 12. Gabe, how do you feel? I feel like we are officially vets. I thought we were just sort of vets last week, but now we are officially veterans of the podcast world, and I'm very excited about that. Please keep listening. Yes, and under this dialogue, you are probably hearing Fred's music right now, so thank you for that. Thank you for joining us for episode 12. Thank you, I haven't said this in a couple of episodes, but to Sunny 16 for giving us a home. This Absolutely. never would have happened thank were it you. not for the gang of the Sunny 16 podcast. So thank you, everyone. Thanks for joining us, and keep shooting film on Rolleiflex and a few other things. Enjoy. <laughs>